Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Landon Johnson as he shares this week's message. All right, so today we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there in preparation. How many of you have ever thought about what happened would happen if you won the lottery? Or if you had like a secret relative that died who had a ton of cash and just left you a bunch of stuff? You're like, what would I do, right? So two different situations, right? One is you win the lottery, a lot of money. The other is you've got the, uh, the rich uncle. If you flip to the next slide there, Ben. Rich uncle. <laughs> Those who appreciate uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air appreciate the, the uh, Rich Uncle version. So let's choose between these two options real quick. Which is better, winning the lotto or being the recipient, recipient of an inheritance? So here's your odds if you were to play the Powerball lottery today on average. One in 292.2 million. That's your chance to win the Powerball lottery. To give you an example of uh, how that is referenced against other chances in your life, you have a 1.12 million chance of dying from lightning. So twice as likely that you'll die from lightning. You have a 1 in 46,000 chance of dying from a hornet, wasp, or bee sting. Way more likely that's going to get you. You got a 1 in 35,000 chance of dying in a storm generally. And you have a 1 in 114 chance of dying from a fall. So chances of winning the lotto, pretty much nothing. On the other hand, the odds of an inheritance are one to one. If you are in that will and you got a rich relative and they die, you get it. Much better odds. So if you want to make it big, this is my advice to you. Don't go buy a lottery ticket. Go find a rich family member. That is the solution. Inheritance is the way to go. And that's going to make sense as we dive into this passage, why I mentioned that. So let's set the stage really quick before we read our passage. We're in chapter 8, the second half of, uh, or the middle-ish of the chapter for uh, Romans. So in chapter 7 and the first half of 8, Paul's talking about the law. And he's helping us to understand the purpose of the law, why it's here. So he defines three different aspects of the law in those chapters. The first is that the law convicts everyone of sin. For all have sinned and fall short the, fallen short of the glory of God, and the law is what condemns you. You know that you don't live up to it. However, the law cannot deliver anyone from sin. You are unable to fulfill it, and therefore it is unable to be a savior to you. That said, the law is unable to condemn a believer, because a believer who walks in the Spirit can fulfill the law through Christ. Because Christ was the one person who did live the perfect life, who did fulfill the law in all of its aspects. So that's kind of our context now coming into our passage that we're going to go over. So we're going to go to Romans chapter 8, and we're starting in verse 12 and going through verse 18. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, 
provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So our thesis this morning is that we're going to understand the blessings and the obligations of being Christ's heirs so that we might live spirit-led lives. We might possess spirit-led lives. All right, so we're going to understand, by diving into this passage, the blessings and obligations of being an heir with Christ so that we can possess a spirit-led life. Go ahead and pray with me real quick before we dive in. Gracious Father, uh, I pray that you would give me uh, just truth. Uh, let my mouth be filled only with words that give you honor and glory and say that which is true. I pray that you would help the congregation to uh, listen well and to be able to pay attention, to be able to take uh, into their own lives that which is valuable to them so that they can apply it well and that uh, through this study we might be able to become uh, better servants for you and uh, better, know, uh, better know you so that we can love you more. I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so first things first, we want to figure out what is an heir. It's kind of a funny word, old, old word. So looking at the Oxford English Dictionary, the uh, definition of an heir first is a person who has the legal right to receive someone's property, money, or title when that person dies. So you're the, you're the next in line to receive the stuff they've got. Another version of heir is a person who thought, is thought to continue the work or tradition started by someone else, right? So they talk about like that, like an artist is an heir to another artist because they continue what they started, things like that. Um, so typically though, when we think of heirs, we think of royalty, right? British family, right? So like when Queen Elizabeth dies, which will probably be never, then <laughs> Prince Charles takes over. And then after Prince Charles, it's Prince William. And then after Prince William, it's, what's the kid's name? George? Yeah. The kid. The kid is next. So like, there's a line, right? They are all heirs to each other. When one dies, the title, the lands, the money, the obligations, everything that is associated with the British monarchy flows from person to person in its totality all the way down through. And those are all specifically defined. They are heirs to each other. But there's particular things that come with being an heir, and not all of it is maybe something you want, right? So we're going to look at four specific things that are associated with being an heir that we will find in this passage. The first is obligation. There are obligations that come with being an heir that you're not able to get out of. There's associations. You're associated with certain people. You're not able to get out of those either. There's an intimacy that naturally comes with being a family. And then there's the stuff that we think of as much better, the inheritance, the good stuff that you get when someone else passes on or when that title passes to you. So we're going to look through each of those four to understand how we, as members of the family of God, receive our heirs, uh, receive what we receive as heirs. So look first, family obligation. We're going to start there. So verse 12, verse 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the key words we're looking at there in that passage are brothers and debtors. So brothers, obvious, right? Like the Bible uses brothers to refer to family, mankind to refer to all of mankind. So brothers is brothers and sisters, family. This is a specific word used of us. We are direct relations. We're not cousins. We're not aunts and uncles. We are not, uh, you know, related by law. We're not, you know, brothers-in-law. We are brothers and sisters. This is a direct family relationship. 
the closest it can possibly be. And then debt. Debt is something that is owed to someone else that you have to pay. You don't get out of it. It's a debt that you have that you owe. Now, we start out as sinners as owing a debt to God because of something that we did wrong. So he's saying we're debtors here, but we know also that Paul is writing to fellow Christians. So now we have to ask, if we're debtors still, how has that debt been transferred? Who do we now owe? And the answer is we now owe the Spirit. Right? We don't live according to the flesh anymore. We don't owe our debt anymore to the flesh and to sin. We now owe our debt to the Spirit to walk and live by the Spirit. So we still have an obligation. We've moved from one category, slaves to sin, to another category, slaves to righteousness. Our debt has moved across. So our debt is now owed to God. We are obligated. We have a family obligation to live a life that is led by the Spirit. Let's look next at family association. So moving on to verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So again, we want to fo focus on that word, sons of God, sons and daughters of God. Direct family relationship. God is reiterating, you're not any kind of distant relative. You are the closest possible family that you can be. And then the word all, we have to look at the conditional there, right? This isn't all like everybody. This isn't a declaration of universal salvation. It has a conditional next to it. All who are led by the Spirit of God. So if you're led by the Spirit of God, then you are a son and a daughter of God. Which means as an inverse, if you are not led by the Spirit of God, then you are not a son and daughter of God. This is an exclusive statement that applies to a specific set of people. If you are someone who is led by the Spirit of God, then you are by definition family, part of God's family, a son and a daughter. Let's look next at the family intimacy. This is in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Again, repeat it again, adoption as sons, right? We are not inherently part of that family, but we are brought into that family. And when we are brought in, we are brought in as direct family members. We are sons and daughters directly. Now I want to dive a little bit into this word, Abba, Father. Um, there's a lot of... Uh, niceties that get thrown around about the word Abba and stuff, and I kind of want to disabuse you maybe of a notion you may have heard previously. So it's not uncommon to hear someone say that the word Abba means daddy. That's a very like uh, endearing term, like a child would say, you know, if like Ivy was running around, she says dada, that kind of idea. Um, that's a fairly common thing to hear, but uh, as I dove into this, I'm convinced that's actually not a very good way to think about this. So we're going to jump into it. Let's see where Rob and I end up on this. He's <laughs> good? Oh, OK, all right, all right. Uh, so Abba is the Aramaic word for father. Uh, it's a close parallel to the Hebrew word av, which means father. So in the Bible, the vast majority of the Bible is either written in Hebrew or in Greek. But there are some sections that have Aramaic in them. So Abba is the Aramaic word for father in this section, so you, if you read it in the original Greek, you would be reading Greek and then you would see the Aramaic word Abba and then the Greek word for father followed by it. So it's, it's inserted as a thing. So, you're like, so that you have to ask the question immediately when you see that, what's unique and different? Why would they use this Aramaic word in the midst of writing in Greek? So let's take a look at where Abba is used within scripture. In the Old Testament, it only occurs in one chapter, which is Daniel 5. So I'll give you one quick example of that. So Daniel 5.2. This is Belshazzar, who is the heir to Nebuchadnezzar. It says, Belshazzar, when he had tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father, 
Abba, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So that use of Abba is not daddy, right? This is a direct like application of Belshazzar is the immediate descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. He now received all of that stuff that Nebuchadnezzar plundered from other places, and he is saying, the stuff that I received as an inheritance from my father, my Abba, go grab it, bring it here, so that we can drink. So that's the only time it's used in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see it three times. First, we're going to look at Mark 14.36. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer in the garden. He says, uh, uh, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. This is Jesus praying to God. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. This is Christ asking, knowing the suffering that he is going to endure on the cross. Please, Lord, let this pass from me. And then he goes on to say, but not your will be done, but uh, not my will be done, but yours. And he uses Abba. So that's, there's endearment there, definitely. But it is not the endearment of a small child to an older person. It's between co-equals. This is God the Son speaking to God the Father and saying, there's a plan. I know we have set a plan in motion. What I'm about to endure is horrifying. And if there's another way, please let it be. And yet, your will be done and not mine. So this is not a child to someone else. It is, it is a plea that has affection, but it's not of a child. And then going on to Galatians 4, 6, it says, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is Paul writing to the church in Galatia, trying to encourage them. And he's saying, you are sons and daughters of God. You are part of his family. Therefore, the spirit of God is within you, crying out, Abba, Father. This idea of the spirit interceding for us when we talk to God. So again, there's not really this sense of like a child talking to a father. There's a sense of God speaking to God on our behalf and being able to express the intimacy that is Abba, Father, like what you have, I also have. And then, of course, Romans 8.15, which is our passage, right? We have... For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into slavery, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So we've got these four instances with three different contexts where we make use of this. We've got Belshazzar crying it out and saying, I want this. We've got God the Son speaking to God the Father. We have God the Spirit speaking to God the Father. And then finally, we have us speaking to God the Father. So really, when we look at that word Abba, what it is conveying to us is that the way in which a person can say, I am the recipient of all of these things that my father had and he has passed down to me, and the way that God the Son can have be intimate and speak with God the Father because they are family, and the way that God the Spirit can speak to God the Father because they are family, we are given that access. We can cry. Abba, Father, in the way that God the Son can cry, Abba, Father, because we are heirs with Christ. Not because there's this child's father dynamic, but because God has showered us with the blessings that come with being a direct heir with Christ. So all of these point into what we're now going to get into, which is the family inheritance, which is verse 17 and 18. And if children, speaking about us, then heirs, Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him and also that we, we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not comparable 
with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Right? So key words, children, heirs. Again, children, direct family. There's a direct relationship there between us and God. And then heirs, recipients of an inheritance. Right? We looked at what an heir is. You receive all of the things that come to you from the person who has designated you as their heir. But we do need to take a look real quick at what is the thing that we are inheriting. And it is a dual inheritance. So focusing in now on verse 18. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There are two things that God promises us in this passage as our inheritance. The first is suffering now. The second is glory to be revealed. That's a little bit difficult to swallow. I know a lot of us have been dealing with some really heavy stuff lately in our lives, and given the way that the country generally is going and the world generally is going, there's probably a lot more of that for Christians to be had in the not-too-distant future. Suffering is something we should expect. And truly, in the arc of history, suffering is something we haven't had a lot of. We've been very blessed with where we live relative to the history of the world and relative even to other places in this world right now. God tells us you are going to have suffering in the same way that it is sure that you will receive glory when you die later, you will receive suffering now. It is something that's going to come to you. So we can expect it. And because we expect it, we can then uh, learn to revel in it and learn to have the joy that James talks about that God has deemed to bring into our lives the same suffering that Christ had. We can revel that we get to endure like he endured and in doing that, what gives us comfort and hope is that we can look forward to the blessed day in the future where glory will be revealed to us, a glory that is so great that Paul says it doesn't even compare to the sufferings that you're enduring now. So how do we apply this? Let's return back to our thesis really quick. Right? We want to understand the blessings and obligations of being Christ's heirs so that we can possess spirit-led lives. All right, so the blessings and obligations, we just ran through what are those blessings and obligations that we get as heirs. Right, we got our four things. We've got our obligations, we have our associations, we have our intimacy, and we have our inheritance. Those are the four things that we get that are blessings and obligations as being Christ's heir. We receive them so that we might possess a spirit-led life. And what does it mean? What does it mean to be part of a family? It means you're there with each other. It means you can't break those bonds no matter what you want to do. You will always have brothers and sisters in this life, no matter what. You cannot break those bonds. And I know what you're thinking. You hear sermon after sermon, week after week, and you're like, man, like I'm still working on Randy's sermon, right? I'm still working on Rob's whole series. And this is yet another thing where it's like, got to do this too? Got to live that spirit-led life? Like, how do I cram that in? So let me give you a little bit of encouragement, right? And that's in remembering the spirit. In the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 7, Paul mentions the spirit once in chapters 1 through 7. In chapter 8, he mentions the spirit 21 times in just chapter 8. And this is the chapter where he gets into it and says, you are heirs, therefore, this is what you get to inherit, and this is the way that you live, a spirit-led life. Like, Paul knows you, he knows himself, 
He's not a stranger to this stuff, right? He had to endure the same things we did. He knows we're weak. He knows we have a lot of trials and travails and things that we have to fight. And he knows when his readers were reading this, they would be frustrated and maybe crushed and exasperated and all the other things that humans do when yet another thing is added onto their plates. And so over and over and over again, he reminds them, the spirit is with you. God's spirit is within you. You can cry, Abba, Father. So returning back to verse 18, we have a promise that there's going to be suffering. But if then we come back to verse 4 from that same chapter, Paul tells us, we do this in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is a way of life. It is not a promise that you're never going to fail because you are going to fail. You're going to mess up. You're going to do things wrong. But this is an orientation to your life. You, the way that you consider things, the way that you look at the world, the way that you try to uh, assess what you want to do with your life, what steps you're going to take, how you're going to act in any given situation, you are oriented because the spirit is leading you. You are led in a way that makes you act differently, think differently, consider the world in different ways. So Paul knows you're going to fail. There has already been a price paid for your failures. Christ already knows where you will succeed and where you will fail, and he's already paid the price for you on the cross. But he t commands you to walk in that spirit-led life, and with the power of the spirit within you, you can do it. There is an orientation to your life that you can have. There's a great uh, quote from John Piper where he's talking about being part of Jesus' family. He says, the bloodline of Jesus is thicker, deeper, stronger, than the bloodline of wraith, ethnicity, and family. And man, particularly nowadays, like there, we are living in a time where people are trying to stir up as much dissension and hatred and uh, discontentedness and everything else against each other based on many of these categories. And as Christians, you can say, I have the solution to that. The solution to that is Christ. Because my family in Christ is far more important than any of the rest of that stuff. Right? When you show up here in OVBC, if we are living spirit-led lives, which we strive for, it won't matter what your race is. It won't matter what your ethnicity is. It won't matter where you came from. It won't matter where you're going, what your family associations are. What matters is whether or not you are Christ's. And if you're not, we are going to do our best to draw you to him. If you are, we are going to invite you in as one of the family. And we're going to love you. So where does that leave us? I'm hoping you'll notice a little bit of a trend between things. We are like encouragement on encouragement on encouragement, reminding you that if you're feeling small, that's okay because God is big. And we should feel small when we look at him because he is just so incredible. And we can rest on his greatness and not on our own. So let's come back one last time to our thesis. We're going to understand the blessings and obligations of being Christ heir so that we can possess a spirit-led life. Orient your mind and your thoughts so that you can be thinking in terms of the spirit. I'm not going to give you a list of do this, do that. Well, I'm going to give you one thing to do, but we'll get to that. But in general, what we want as Christians is to orient the way that our souls desire through constant practice of thinking through every single day all the little small things. What is it that God wants in this moment? When somebody cuts you off in traffic, don't just allow yourself to do the normal getting angry and saying something under your breath. 
It's probably going to happen because it's a habit. But then take a moment, come back, ask God for forgiveness for responding in a bad way, and then say, what is a spirit-led way to respond to a situation like that? Do that over and over and over again with all the small things in life, and you will find that over time, that spirit-led life is oriented more and more toward God. That's the process of sanctification that we talk about so much. So here's the one thing that you can absolutely do that will help you lead a spirit-led life, and that is come to small groups. On Friday, <laughs> September 16th, 6 to 8 p.m., uh, uh, think of it this way. Sunday mornings is your amount of transfiguration, right? You show up here, you get to bathe in the glory of God, we are silent before the amazingness that is the truth of his word. We simply sit and imbibe. Small groups is like the Mount of Olives. That's where you get to come back, you break bread, you sit around in a circle, you talk. You need both in your life. You need your Mount of Transfiguration and you need your Mount of Olives. So it's awesome that you're all showing up here on Sunday mornings, but come join us on Friday nights also. And you will find that over time, you're going to be receiving the word here faithfully. We're going to worship God together faithfully. And then we're going to go dive deeper into the word and build relationships on those Friday nights. And you're going to find that being able to do both of those things in your life is going to help you in orienting your soul and your heart and your mind so that you are leading that spirit-led life and wanting the things that God wants you to want. So finally, there does have to be the reminder that these blessings are for those who are saved only. In Romans 8.8, 8, it says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That is an absolute statement that gives no room for error. If you are in the flesh, you cannot please God. If this inheritance stuff sounds really good to you, I am happy to say you have heard well, because it's fantastic. What you get from God is amazing. But if you want to inherit, you have to be part of the family. So if you are sitting here today and you are not saved, if you're knowing that you've come and you've heard stuff and this all sounds really good, but you know that you have never come before the cross and said, please God, forgive me a sinner, then I beg you today, find me, find Rob. Do that this morning. Don't delay any further. If you're in the flesh, you cannot please God. But if you are in the spirit, you cannot help but be an inheritor with him. Go ahead and bow your heads. Pray with me as I pray. Gracious Father, we thank you very much for this time together. We thank you for your love, that you uh, just love us so deeply, that you have brought we who have no reason to claim anything into your family to receive an inheritance that is beyond value. It sounds unreal to think that we could simply lay hold to something to which we, by all rights, have no claim to. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the incredible glory of what's there and let that be a motivation for us. The sufferings of this life that you have also promised to us as part of that inheritance are just hard to deal with. And so, Lord, we pray that you would make us strong, help us to endure them. Let us look to you for that strength. And then let us look to the incredible blessings that you have set aside for us. The suffering is a blessing in and of itself. And it is so small compared to the glory that you are preparing for us even now. Help us to look to that for strength. Help us to rely on one another. And let us be that family that you have so deeply promised to us. The family that will inherit. The family that loves one another. The family that is deeper than anything else that this world has to offer. I pray this in your most holy name. Amen.
We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.